You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you, Asbury, for letting me be with you today. I'll be here in the next couple of days, so I hope it goes well. My friend Jeannie Banter started just a couple of minutes ago by giving you a passage of scripture from Jesus. It's in Matthew chapter 11, says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Mm. Somebody say amen. I'm going to say the opposite. My passage this morning is from Jeremiah chapter 12, and it goes like this. You have raced with men, and they have worn you out. How will you run with the horses? If you have stumbled when the ground is level, what will you do in the jungle by the Jordan? If you've raced with men, and they've worn you out, how will you run with the horses? If you can't walk when the ground is level, how are you going to walk in the jungle by the Jordan River? Best as I can tell, it was God who picked the fight. Jacob took his family down to the Jabbok River, told his wife and children to go across the river with their possessions. He told them, I'll stay on this side for the night. I'll meet you there in the morning. Soon after his family got across the river, a man came out of nowhere and he jumped him in Scripture says that Jacob and the stranger wrestled. And the word literally means dusty. It means down and dirty. They, he jumped him out of nowhere and they went down into the dirt and they started to wrestle in the ground. And this went on for hours. And finally, after three or four hours of this, you can imagine kind of the exhaustion of a hand-to-hand combat for several hours. They must have stood up And the man realizing that he was not going to overcome Jacob, this dude can fight, reached out and touched the socket and threw it out of joint. He may have broken it. And when he broke it, Jacob fell backwards. And when he fell, he must have reached up and grabbed the guy and pulled him onto himself. And the man said, let me go. Which is strange because the stranger has now picked a fight and he wants out of it. But Jacob, who didn't pick the fight, still wants in it. And Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And the man said, what is your name? Like he didn't know. Jacob said, it's Jacob, which means deceiver. And the man said, not anymore. After tonight, your name is Israel which means he struggles with God. He wrestles with God. He fights with God. Jacob said, what is your name? The man said, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him and vanished into the dawn. Jacob tried to pick himself off of the ground, but he couldn't do it because his hip was broken. And so after crawling around in the now matted grass, he managed to get to the one leg that was still good, and he propped himself up, and he called the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen the face of God 
and lived. Who is this God who jumps you out of nowhere and then when he can't overpower you, he cheats by knocking your hip out of socket? Who is this God who asks for your name, but he won't give you his? What kind of God blesses you even while he wounds you? So my message this morning is for anyone in the room, and it might just be a couple of you who feel at times as though you are stuck with that God. And I guess the message, at least to start, is at least three or four things. The first is that it is completely within God's character to pick a fight with you. And the sooner you know that, the better it's going to be. God may allow things, done to you, or he may do things himself that you consider unfair, and that is completely within his character. Observation number two, and so it is in your best interest if you learn early how to fight with God without leaving him, without charging him foolishly, leaving in your mind the possibility that there are things about God that you may not know and it would take a good fight in order to reveal it to you. As C.S. Lewis put it, every image you have of God, he must in mercy shatter until the only appropriate response is to rise from one's knees and say, I never knew. And third, If you are among the few in the room that have wrestled with God or you're fighting with him now over something, this does not prove that you don't belong to him. To the contrary, it might prove that you do. For Israel does not mean one who worships God, one who obeys God, or even one who loves God. Israel means one who struggles with God. And so actually it's a compliment to say that you and God don't always agree. You can't be flippant about it. And you have to be genuine, and you have to remain humble. But you don't have to lie to yourself or to everyone else by pretending everything is fine between you and God when you know it isn't. This might be a testament that actually you belong to God. You're not opposite Him. And four, you never win a fight like this. You survive it. And the way you survive it is you hold on to God in the midst of a struggle until he changes your name. And your name is not what they call you. Your name is what you answer to. Your name is your identity. It's who you believe you are. And you hold on to God until it is only God who defines that. All right, let's come up for air. Are you guys all right? That a lot? We just getting started. So about a year and a half ago, so maybe just about a year ago, after I was here last October, I went home and I was reading through Jeremiah. I was having my devotions in Jeremiah, which I admit is a really bad idea. This old boy is a man, as Abraham Heschel said, of violent emotions. He has strong incendiary language. He shouts, he screams, he moans, he laughs. He is at times bipolar. He is what Heschel called a tormented 
tormented soul. And so Jeremiah is not the first guy you want to meet in the morning, especially when you're getting news every day of what's happening on the street. But somehow, because I guess masochism runs in my family, I decided I would take up Jeremiah in the morning. I came to chapter 12, verse 5. You race against men and they wear you out. How are you going to handle? How can you run with the horses? If you can't walk when the ground is plain, how are you going to walk when the jungles by the Jordan River? I thought to myself, this is a great message for college students. Because a lot of them grew up soft, I said. And so I put it on a post-it note and I stuck it on the wall. I had no idea within a few months the message was for me. I did not know the message would write itself. In order to understand the message, I went back and started to reread the prophecies of Jeremiah. And as far as I can tell you guys, there are two dominant themes in the book of Jeremiah. One is the theme of God's struggle with the nation. On one hand, God loves his people, but on the other hand, he is frustrated with his people. So he's ready to send them off, and yet he doesn't want to let them go. It's a little bit like Brian Adams' song, if you're going to leave me, can I come too? If you're going to go, can I go with you? And if you say no, I'm still going to go. So that's kind of the way God feels. I love you. I can't stand you. God is caught in a crucible. The other theme in Jeremiah is Jeremiah's own struggle with God. He was chosen, predestined, before he was even born. The words known, set apart, and appointed are all words used of Jeremiah before he was even born. And so in like Arminian circles like Asbury, these are naughty verses. They don't cooperate with our theology. So on the one hand, Jeremiah feels chosen and special and called by God to do something special. But on the other hand, he's frustrated with the thing that God has called him to do and he wants out of it. So Jeremiah is in the same crucible. In Jeremiah chapter 20, he says to God, you deceived me. You told me to speak, and when I speak, I get persecuted, and yet if I don't speak, your word is shut up in my bones like a fire, so I don't know what to do. I'm damned if I speak and damned if I don't. And so you hear in Jeremiah's tone this same kind of crucible. So it feels like God and Jeremiah are caught up in the same crucible, somewhere between loyalty and frustration. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? Asbury, do you hear the tension? Let me help you. I hear this same thing coming from a number of people that I'm in conversation with. Some of them are college students in my own church. Some of them are fellow pastors. Some of them are coaches. Some of them are university presidents. 
Some of them are activists for social justice. Others are just preachers of small congregations. Some are editors of newspapers, and some are parents or grandparents of children who have started to wander into other religions. They all feel the same thing. I have in my soul a deep and fierce commitment to the people and the things that God has called me to do. But at the same time, I am so frustrated with this. I want to just walk away from it all. It's the fight that every one of us who love God are having with our culture today. We love the public, and so we take classes to serve the public, but at the same time, what's happening in the public makes us sick to our stomach. Can I get a witness? And I hear these people say to me, Steve, this is no longer a matter of what is right and wrong. We passed that exit 20 years ago. This is now a matter of what is sustainable. The present course that we are on is simply not sustainable. You cannot build a civilization, any civilization, on the assumptions that this culture has. They seem to want the best that the Judeo-Christian values offer, but they seem to at the same time want to detach themselves from Judeo-Christian values. Like a cut flower, the life of our society lives for just a couple of years, but it will die because it must. The seeds of its own destruction are built into the assumptions of our culture. One of them said, Steve, you cannot play in the River Niagara for so long without one day getting swept up in one of the currents. And it doesn't matter when you go over the falls, how much you say, I didn't want this. This is not what I intended. These are the decisions you made, and these are the consequences of those decisions, and that brother is on you. Mm. <laughs> these people are angry, and they're tired, and they're weary, like some of you are weary in Jeremiah's crucible. Then one day Jeremiah hears in chapter 11 that some men from Anatop, it's his hometown, it's a village just three miles outside the capital city. It's a village that is largely populated by priests and Levites. Listen carefully. Have sent a posse of men to kill him because they don't like his message. At first they tried to cancel him. Then they went on social media and said all sorts of mean things about him. Then they listened to his speeches and they quoted him out of context. And when that didn't work, they stood up while he was talking and they started to ridicule him. And finally they said to themselves, let's just pay to have the man killed. And if this is Anatot, I'm telling you, the people that are trying to kill him are quite possibly his childhood friends. It's only three miles from the capital. They might be funded by the government and they are certainly numbered by priests. These are the religious people that are doing this. And Jeremiah has had it. In chapter 12, he says to God, Yahweh, you are always good and righteous, but I would speak to you about your justice. I don't think it's fair. And then he goes into the old theotic problem of why is it that unrighteous people seem to do so well in life and yet you don't let me get away with anything. He says, Yahweh, these people don't listen to you. They pretend they listen to you, but they never listen to you. 
They feign religion, but me? No, no, I don't get away with anything. Jeremiah is having his own wrestling match with God at the Jabbok River. He's landed the first punch. Now he's about to take one. Yahweh says to him, you run against men and they wear you out. How on earth are you going to run with the horses? You stumble and you complain when the ground is easy. How are you going to do this in the jungle by the Jordan? Yahweh continues, Jeremiah's son, listen to me. Your cry for justice is not wrong but it's small. Your tendency to see the world and everything in the world in simplistic terms, moral terms. It's either good or it's bad. It's either just or it's unjust. It's fair or it's unfair. Son, this is keeping you from seeing what is really happening, is what Yahweh says. Yahweh says, Jeremiah, what's happening is that I am in a struggle for the soul of your nation. And as long as I am fighting for your nation, it's going to feel like you are fighting for me. I know that you're tired. I know you feel overlooked and I know you feel weary. I need you to stay in the struggle. You're tired running with men. I need you to run with the horses. Jeremiah thought, all I wanted was a pat on the back. And I just got hit in the mouth. Yahweh continues with a prophecy that I got to tell you sounds an awful, awful lot like where we are today. Yahweh says, Jeremiah, listen to me. Your culture is going into exile because I am going to carry them there. I am carrying your culture into exile because they have broken the terms of my covenant. But once my people are in exile, their idols will die. And there they will bury their idols one at a time until the only one left for them is me. And then I will return to them and I will make a brand new covenant with my people. And this one I will not write on tablets of stone or on parchments. I will write it on the very flesh of their hearts. So my people will do by instinct the thing that I have called them to do. Jeremiah, I need you to stay in the struggle for the soul of this nation. I need you to run with the horses. I'm not sure that a lot of us are ready to do that yet. But what I came to tell you this morning is God is calling you, Asbury, not just to be a nice, clean, moral society. I hope you are all of that. But God is calling you, I think, to be part of a remnant that He intends to raise up to transform this nation. Now, I realize not every one of you that turns you on. 
You want to have families, raise babies, build your careers, and retire with seven figures. That's fine. But there might be some of you who are saying, that's not enough, man. I want this all to matter for something that is bigger than me. So those are the ones I'm speaking to. I think God is raising up a remnant of next generation leaders that he intends to use embedded in every discipline of society. It is just as important that we have them in athletics and in medicine and in law and in social science and in architecture as we have them in the church. God is raising them up everywhere and he can't be stopped. And so I came to invite you to be part of that society. If you're tired running with men, you got to learn to run with horses. How much time? Five minutes. Chapels are too short. You know that. So can I take a moment and be the old man? I'm going to. So you just go, yeah, I'll go be the old man. My mother used to say that we need to have conversations where we talk Dutch. And what that meant was we just sort of take off the gloves and we just say it exactly like it is. So I think if God is calling you to run with horses and you still feel worn out, there's a few things that you will have to learn to navigate. You'll have to get better at these things. And currently these things frustrate you. You don't like these things and you avoid all of them. And when they happen, you complain about them. But there's actually tons of them. I'm just going to cherry pick a few. One of the things you will have to learn to develop muscle for is pressure. You constantly say that you don't like the pressure. You can't perform under pressure. I have too many deadlines and the audiences are too big and I find myself backing out of one special interest and into another one. And you say that you perform worse under pressure and I think you're wrong. Pressure only means that you're into something that matters. If you don't want pressure, then do something that doesn't matter. I'm watching a tennis match not long ago. Venus Williams is coming out of the alley to go onto the court, and the person said to her, man, you must feel a lot of pressure playing in the championship. She said, yeah, but pressure is a gift. And I thought to myself, it is a gift. The only two people in the arena who felt pressure were the competitors. Everybody else, the audience, had no pressure at all. So as long as you're doing something that could go poorly and it matters, there will be pressure. You will have to mm, just build muscle for that. You all right? Here's another one. Tension. You will have to learn how to live with people whose ideas are different from yours. You've been trained by the public to cancel people. And the way that you stand for justice is just to sort of have a mic drop moment. Blah, 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 blah. Drop the mic and you walk away. Like the rest of the world is going to go, oh man, what a point. Nobody thinks that way. You will have to learn to stay in an argument that you could lose despite the fear of losing it. But if your self-esteem is so fragile that you must win, then you will always avoid arguments that could make you better. Am I making sense? Tension means to pull apart. 
Conflict means to strike against. You don't want conflict, but you want tension. The root word of tension is tent. So when you pull the stakes of a tent in opposite directions, it causes what is in between them to rise. So you want people in your life who consistently disagree with you and you have to learn how to finish conversations without wrapping them all up. The first thing you look for when you have an idea is someone who doesn't think it's a great idea. And yet those are the people you've been trained to avoid. I'm telling you, you have four years to do this and then it's time for the pros. You will have to learn how to live over a period of time inside of two opposing values, always looking for something else to rise. You still there? One minute. Gosh, there's so many to choose from. Criticism. Criticism. You are, are trained to interpret criticism as rejection, and it's not. Criticism is a compliment. It's a compliment to your ideas or to your way of life. If people reject you, they just ignore you. But if you're a force to be reckoned with, of course they're going to criticize you. And if you must make people happy, then it only proves you're playing to the wrong audience. You play to an audience of one. Four or five years ago, I'm in the back room before the morning service. The whole room is dark. Nobody's in church yet. I'm walking around. And I know that morning I'm going to speak on race. My point that morning is going to be, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your company. When you join the family of God, you have people of different race, ethnicities, and value systems in the same family you better learn to deal with that. Unless I'm sort of mulling the sermon over in the back room, I start to get scared. I start thinking, oh gosh, I don't want to deal with this. I remember that morning clearly the voice of the Lord coming to me and saying, Steve, remember when the message starts out there, you have but one friend. And it ain't even your wife. It's me. At the end of the day, I have to love what you're saying. And you have to say it fearlessly. You will have to live in that kind of pressure, in that kind of tension, under the weight of that kind of criticism. And now in order to honor your classes and the professors that are already giving me the eye, I thought the way to close this morning was just to pray over you a prayer of blessing. That'd be all right. Church, that'd be all right. I mean, I figure I've been pounding up here long enough. I'm hot and you're bothered. So just... <laughs> Tonight, be more fun, more constructive. I'll talk on listening to God, but um, this morning, I just want to bless you. Will you stand to your feet and let me do that? I got it right here, church. I know it's a hard message to hear. But I want the last thing you hear this morning to be all words of Scripture. None of these are my words. Hear the words of God spoken over you. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given you a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who are even now being protected by the power of God for a salvation that is about to be revealed. In this you rejoice, even though you've had to suffer trials of many kind, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, may be found to result in praise and glory when Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you can't see him now, you believe in him and rejoice an indescribable joy for you are even now receiving the outcome of your faith which is the salvation of your souls now that you have purified yourselves by obedience to the truth love one another deeply from the heart for you were born again not of perishable but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God that word is the gospel that was preached among you so you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation a people belonging to God so that you might declare the praise of him who brought you out of darkness and into his wonderful light once you were not a people but now you are the people of God so humble yourselves under God's mighty hand and he will exalt you in the appropriate time cast your anxiety onto him for he cares for you discipline yourselves keep yourselves alert for your adversary like a roaring lion Prowls around looking for someone to devour. You must resist him, standing steadfast in your faith, for you know that brothers and sisters in all the world are going through the same kinds of struggles. And remember this after the struggle, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory will himself restore you, strengthen you, and establish you. To him be the power forever and ever. And let everybody say, Amen. May the grace and peace of Christ be with you throughout the day.